Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Circle Up podcast. We are your hosts, Kyra Condi and Allison Vest, and thanks for listening again. On this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, drugs and tattoos. And uh, you know what? Maybe that's all I'm going to say for now. We'll leave it at that cliffhanger, and uh, hope you stay tuned. Let's get into it. All right, now that I'm sure everyone is on the edge of their seats wondering what we're going to talk about. Uh, so I am a Redditor. I go on Reddit. I also post on Reddit. I'm not just a lurker for any Reddit folks out there. Um, and I've seen a lot of misconceptions about drug testing in climbing and like the use of steroids and things like that. Uh, and so we just wanted to like, talk about it a little bit because there's a lot of miscommunications out there. So to be clear... A lot of elite climbers are actually drug tested. And there are a lot of confusions about that. And that's something that was just always an inevitability uh, as climbing moved closer to being an Olympic sport. It just comes with the territory and comes with the territory of climbing becoming more developed and having more sanctioned organizations that are a part of the Olympic and Paralympic committees um, in their respective countries. Yeah. So I remember the first time I actually got drug tested was at a youth Pan Ams. And I just, I really, really did not want to have to pee in front of somebody. And for those who do not know, when you get drug tested as an athlete, it's not like you go into a bathroom alone and pee in a cup. You have somebody follow you into the bathroom and watch you pee into a cup. Like they have to watch it leave your body. And you sometimes have to even pull your shirt up, show that you have no extra bladder, like external bladder with somebody else's pee in it uh, to cheat the drug test. So like they make you show all of that. And then they have to watch it leave your body. And that, then you go through this whole process where nobody else is allowed to touch it. There's like an A cup and a B cup and you pour it into these different cups. And it's this whole kind of complicated process. And you, like when she says they have to watch it leave your body, like sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll like, especially for girls, because you're just, you're sitting, yeah. they'll like lean, like they'll lean down towards the like toilet bowl so they can like really see it exit your body and go into the cup. Like some of them are little bit more chill chill about it but some of them are not at all yeah so there i know some people obviously cannot pee under those conditions and so there's people who this has taken this is like a four-hour process sometimes for people like, literally they just sit you are that happened you just to, keep trying you just go and right. sit and just don't nothing happens my one of my early earliest i haven't been drug tested that much um just because I'm not in the pool that requires that in Canada. But one of my first times getting tested, though, was when they came to an event which was happening in Canada and tested um, a few of us. But one of the girls that was getting tested was pretty young, like had just aged into youth. Um, So she had to and was allowed to have her mom with her to test, but just couldn't like could not pee in front of the lady couldn't do it with the pressure couldn't handle it they had her like chugging bottles of water and just sitting in the corner and waiting but it was like they will not let you leave without peeing in this cup because that counts as a failed drug test and then you get a, a sanction ban yeah you you will get sanctioned and not be allowed to compete for potentially years i remember we were talking before they you know told us who was going to get drug tested and we were saying that you have, you know, they're going to have to watch you pee. And she like her, like the color, like left her face. And she was like, what? But they're not like in the stall with you. And we were like, no, like they're in there and their head is like under, like between then, your legs. And essentially. if you're underage, 
you have both your guardian and them in there watching. Right. Everybody's in your stall with you. Yeah. And she was like, no, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to. And we were like, well, ha- have fun not competing for the next four years. Like, <laughs> whatever the... <laughs> you, you, it's, it's do it or you... Yeah. Or get out, you know, so... So it's intense. Yeah. The first time I was doing it, like I was saying, was in Chile also. No. Yeah. I think... Or Mexico. I was in Mexico for Youth Pan Ams. And... I thought they were only drug testing the first place people. And I had this competition and it was very unfortunate. I mean, I did well, but I got all second places. And first place at Pan Americans used to get you a a buy to literally everything. So it's like that golden ticket. And I got second place in everything. So it was very disappointing. And I remember talking to my mom and being like, well, the only good thing is that I don't have to pee in front of somebody. And literally moments after that, somebody came and tapped on my shoulder and was like, oh, you got randomly chosen to be drug tested. And I, I think I cried. I was so sad. I did not want to do it. I'm a really like modest person. I'm, so I was horrified. Same as this girl that you're talking about. Um, and I was so, yeah, I was so bummed. And then I think I was also in my period. And so I'm like 16, panicking. Oh, and this woman has to, she doesn't speak any English. I speak some Spanish, and but I had no idea how to tell her that I was on my period. And so I remember. Because it doesn't matter. No. If, it if also, anybody's curious, yeah, it doesn't matter. Which I learned at this time, actually. Yeah. So I ended up being like, I ended up saying, there's blood in Spanish. <laughs> so I said, I sangre. And the lady was like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, okay. Crying. I was, like, trying, to say, crying. I was trying to say time of the month. I was trying to say, like, punto. I like, had no idea how to say this in Spanish. So uh, anyway, that was my first first experience being drug tested. And, and um, it's scary. I mean, you, you hear horror stories of athletes getting drug tested and having taken, like, multivitamins or something that they didn't know exactly what was in or that weren't approved by uh it's nsf nsf certified for sport certified which means that every uh, ingredient in a product has been tested and there are no banned substances and it's confirmed through uh the nsf organization it's even more than that too it's actually that the factory itself is also clean of any banned substances there's not any contamination yeah because what happens a lot of times is in those multivitamins maybe you look at the ingredients and you know nothing in it is actually banned but they're manufactured in the same factory that makes... the shared with. Share, it yeah. shares, yeah, like these same substances and any amount of it could potentially set off a test. And so there's tons of athletes yeah. who have these horror stories. And of, it's tough. It's hard for, you know, it's a, it's a tough certification process. We both used Gnarly Nutrition for a while that is based out of Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And it took them, you know, they, we got to hear firsthand how hard it was to get NSF certified and expensive and a huge process. But it is sort of the only way to be sure that whatever you're consuming is safe from banned substances because there are there's a ton of stories out there of of athletes taking yeah whatever their multivitamin is that says there's nothing in it but then it comes up with a failed drug test and they don't really care what the reason is or if it was a mistake or if it was on purpose like you fail a drug test and that's you're done yeah it's it's actually so intense that the the usopc which is the united states olympic and paralympic committee specifically does not recommend that you take supplements and they say if you have to like say you must take supplements which a lot of athletes still do to make sure that it's nsf certified it's just not worth the risk exactly and and even nsf is not necessarily perfect and they make sure they say that it's not perfect mostly so that they're probably not liable uh but that's the one that's the closest and that that's the one that you'll be the safest taking if you do feel a need to take protein or um, like yeah, protein supplements, any sort of creatine, all of those things, I tend to buy NSF, even though it is more expensive. But another common misconception I've heard is that there are things that are always banned. 
like just all the time, but it's actually that there are things that are banned specifically in competition and there are things that are banned at all times. And so that's something, you know, a, a really hot, hot button issue has been marijuana. And that's actually only banned in competition. So you can't be using it while in competition or have it in your system in competition. And that's also true of other things um, like alcohol, for example, that are banned in competition, but not outside of competition. So it's not like if you were randomly drug tested and somebody showed up at 6 a.m. on your porch one morning and you had had like a wine night the night before, like you're not going to fail the drug test and get banned from competing ever again. Um, There are specific things that are only banned um, while you're competing, but it is important for athletes to also pay attention to how long things stay in your system because some things stay in your system for longer than others. Exactly. And uh, marijuana is a great example of that. There have been people who do it outside of competition and then it shows up within the competition and that counts as a failed drug test because even though it was outside of the competition and not for the competition that you did it, it was still in your system and you are responsible for that. And that's something that they really harp into you is that anything that goes into or onto your body is your responsibility and knowing what those are and if it's something that can fail a drug test like you need to know that so like, it's stressful it's hard it's you you know you have to be really aware of everything you're taking and that includes you wake up with a headache the day of the comp or you're sick to your stomach or something and you have to be really sure that if you're taking any sort of medication to Um, try to alleviate whatever that problem is that it isn't going to give you a negative drug test because like I said they don't really care what it's for or why you're taking it it's just they really just get a pass or fail sign on the drug test and if you fail like that you know that's it and then there's even substances that it matters how much is in your system so actually caffeine is banned above a certain amount so say you had some absurd amount of caffeine to fail the drug test but if you had this super super high level of caffeine maybe you had nine espressos that morning which would be, I would die. <laughs> but I think it's more than that it's a, even it's a still. Lot. It's a lot of caffeine. Uh, but that would fail a drug test, even though it's obviously not an illegal drug. Um, and then same with, there's another one. Oh, Sudafed. Also, mm-hmm. super over-the-counter cold medicine. If you have too much of it in your system, you can also fail a drug test. So there's a lot of things like that that you have to keep track of. But honestly, if you're just careful, it's not too hard. And yeah, we do get randomly drug tested. And I just wanted to clear up those misconceptions because there, I've seen a lot of speculations and confusion about it on the internet especially yeah but it is um climbing is definitely into the world of sports that requires pretty diligent drug testing um at all times during the competitive season for those people that are in that national pool yeah and so there's people who have to provide 24-hour whereabouts it's called which means you have to have a location that they can test you at within you have to be able to get there within 15 or 30 minutes of them getting there Otherwise, it counts as a, as a missed test. And if you get three strikes, counts as a positive test. So then you would get a sanction as if you had a positive failed test. And uh, speaking of hot takes, because we love hot takes on this podcast, there is a very interesting Alex Magos Instagram post about whereabouts after the Olympics. It was part of his, he did like a whole, um, for people who don't know, he was one of the German Olympians at the Olympics. He's also one of the best rock climbers in the world. So if you don't know him, you should. But anyway, he did a big olympic series after the olympics were over and on one of the parts of that olympic story he talks about drug testing and for him it was a really big deal to have to do whereabouts because he wanted to go rock climbing and wanted to be on these trips and he missed enough whereabouts where if he missed one more then they would essentially forbid him from going to the olympics yeah because if you if you got that positive test pre-olympics that meant or well i guess it would be a fail failed test uh, in that case 
you wouldn't be able to go. Where And that is when, you know, when Kyra talks about whereabouts and having to say where you are, it just, you know, it's part of the rules that you can't. Yeah, so it's, if you're going to be an Olympic athlete, you have to sign up to give your whereabouts. I was a volunteer uh, witness for oh. drug testing for a while. I worked with one of our, my friends growing up in Canmore was one of the people that knocked on the doors at 6 a.m. <laughs> and there was a couple times I went with her because you just have to have like another, a second person. A second person in the, I didn't have to do anything. I just sat in uh, a bunch of athletes' living rooms and waited. But um, it was interesting to see her go through the whole process too and talk about what she has to do if people miss things and how like it doesn't really matter if you feel bad for the athlete or if you know them or whatever like you know you're not where you're supposed to be like it's a big deal yeah and the other thing is it's kind of as much as it sucks to pee in front of somebody it's pretty cool to to prove that you are a a fair athlete you know Uh, that's that's kind of how I try to look at it is you know this is me proving that I am not taking any banned substances you know like it's like a cool thing and it's keeping sport fair which is a really and it also in some way means you've reached a status of eliteness exactly. in your sport that people care enough whether or not you're taking drugs. <laughs> so as awkward as it may be, it's kind of cool to look at it in that way. It's true. Uh, a lot of the people who work at USADA, which is the U.S. Anti-Doping Administration or agency or something, some. uh, a lot of the people are actually people who were affected by, like they, they missed out on a gold medal because the person who got gold was doping and didn't get caught. Like those are the people who work at that place. And so it's kind of really passionate. Who are super it. passionate about fair sport. And I think that's just something that's really cool. And I, I'm kind of psyched that climbing is in that space now. Yeah, I think so too. I think it represents a big push and shift forward and sort of goes along with the Olympic movement that everybody's excited about and hopefully, you know, hopefully climbing has made its mark on the Olympics and it will be a staple sport going forward. Well, I hope that should at least clear up some of the confusion that I've seen about drug testing and whether or not climbers get drug tested and kind of how the process works because it's honestly fairly fascinating, I think, especially as a athlete of any level. And climbing tends to be and has historically been quite counterculture. So I think the concept of drug testing and being involved in all of these different systems um, is new to people. And it's something that people maybe don't know a lot about. It's confusing. Yeah. And it's been depicted in a lot of different ways in the media. And so, yeah. But there are parts of climbing that are still counterculture. Like tattoos. So many tattoos in climbing. Wow. What a transition. (laughs) So good. Anyway. That is the second thing that we want to talk about. So we're going to use this as our rough transition into the second half of this podcast. And I know I always wanted tattoos growing up. And partly is definitely part of that is definitely because of all the climbers I would look up to who had tons of tattoos. Yeah, I mean, I think me too, for sure. Oh, you know, always wanted at least one. And people say they're addicting and it's not wrong necessarily i got my first one and i was like that's i'm done that's it i have i'm gonna have one tiny one on my ankle and that um it's done and that is not what happened no now we both have rib tattoos on both sides i have a back tattoo i have one on my sternum we both actually interestingly we both have a big one on each side and then something in the middle i got them first no she actually did and honestly it looked so cool being balanced out that i that was how i was confident enough to know that it was going to be good on both sides yeah it's okay so I kind of thought that we both have some interesting stories behind our tattoos and that they'd be fun to share. And it's something that I actually get asked about a lot on Instagram is what does it mean to you that tattoo? Or did you get this because of that? And all those things. And so I, I thought we could talk about them. So I, I don't know. Do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my climbing related tattoos, I think have less, I guess, specific like meaning behind them than yours do. Like overt meaning. Yeah. Mine are very 
specific. Overt. Yeah. <laughs> my both of my ones on my sides were technically I decided that I was going to get them after I did a particular boulder. So um, commemorative tattoos. Right. Or or my latest one was a, is a dragon on my left side. Um anyway, but I was in Colorado with Alex Johnson and we both decided that if we both sent V13 on the trip that we would both get side tattoos and we did. Um but Similarly to the one on my right side, which is a butterfly and a dagger that I got after I did Show Your Scars. That one maybe more directly relates to that boulder, but um, I mostly just wanted both of those and needed an excuse to get them. And so I was like, if I do this next thing, then I'll get them. And that's sort of how that ended up being. So it was less like my tattoos represent necessarily specific climbing thing, but it was more just like... I knew I wanted them and I just needed a time to hold myself accountable for getting them. And, uh, I needed, I needed an event to force myself to send the email and book the appointment. It's like a reward. It's like a reward. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's like Kyra and her M&Ms. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, your, your da- butterfly and dagger tattoo, that one's kind of like float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, right? Yeah, Is kind that of. Is that kind of idea behind it? Yeah, or like, I don't know. I figured, because I got that one after I did Show Your Scars, so I figured, I don't know. That's the, the butterfly the was... That's the V14 that Allison sent that we talked about in episode six. Correct. Um, but yeah, I figured the butterfly was like the show part and the dagger was like the scars part. Oh, so, that's cool. Like yeah. Show Your Scars. Yeah. That's and cool. I also, I've always thought that that, I mean, that's a fairly traditional tattoo symbolism and so i really i've always really liked that that look and that style and that symbolism so like i said i mean they're definitely you know that one in particular it's definitely related to the boulder but it's also exactly it's like a reward (laughs) yeah and commemorative i think there's this idea in in culture in general that every tattoo you get has to have some deep meaning behind it but a lot of tattoos you just want to get because you want to get them and okay that brings me into my story of my very first tattoo. You're about to hear a never before disclosed story. It's honestly incredible. I don't know how many how many people have you told the story. Like slightly more now because it's what it's, like five, a little, a little more. Ten. I, I turned it. I told it to some groups, but I specifically have not told my parents this. So I know they listen Shout to this out podcast. Tom and Kathy. <laughs> yep, mom and dad. Here, here's a great story for you. So when <laughs> I was 18, I got a little sad. I think I went through a breakup. And I was like, I want to get a tattoo. I'm, I want I want a tattoo. I've always wanted one. A classic one. trope. I've always wanted a tattoo. I know I wanted it. And so my excuse for getting it to like my, yeah, was that I was kind of sad. Her reward. My reward for being was sad. Was getting through a breakup. Was to, yeah, to, to get a tattoo. And so I thought I did a bunch of research, looked it up, found this guy in Minnesota, got this tattoo. And then the next week, somebody told me that it kind of looked like a flower. And... <laughs> I panicked. I absolutely panicked. I, you know, and it, do, it does kind of look like a flower. I don't know why that was what set me off. It's a mandala. It's, Did you say it's it? a mandala, yeah. yeah, on my, one of my sides. And I, yeah, absolutely panicked. Went to the removery place. The tattoo, removery. the tattoo removery spot. <laughs> and I w- went in and I was like, okay, I don't like it. What, what do I do? And they were like, oh, we can start sessions right now. And I said, do it. So I paid a lot of money, paid for eight sessions up front, did the first <laughs> session. Allison is dying right now. <laughs> I love this story so much. Because they told me, you know, on a fresh ink tattoo, it actually works better. The machine works better. You should do it right now. And I just was in you my like, panic yeah, state. Yeah, okay, I'm doing it. A panicked, sad state. Got the first removal session. Hurts so badly. Like the tattoo was still fresh. It hadn't even healed yet. 
I was and I was panicked so bad that I went and got this. Like it's a rib tattoo. So yeah. You know, if it hurt more than the actual tattoo, you know it was bad. Yeah, and it hurts way more. Anybody who's gotten a tattoo removed or partially removed knows how bad it hurts. So anyway, did the first session. You have to wait eight weeks before the second session. Go into the second session. This whole time I'm hiding this tattoo from my parents because they have always told me not to get tattoos. So And it's on my ribs and I climb in a sports bra all the time. So every single video that you can see from the age of 18 until at least 21, they're shot from one side. <laughs> and that is because my tattoo is on the other side. Also, if you look back into Seco uh, Block, which was the deep water soloing comp, so a big tall wall above a pool, where we're wearing sports bras and shorts because you're essentially wearing a bathing suit. I pretended I had a rib injury. <laughs> She's wearing KT tape that had nothing to do with an injury. It was purely it was purely uh, covering the tattoo <laughs> because I wanted to wear a bikini or like a bikini top while climbing. Okay, but back to the second removal session. So, so then I, I go and get the second removal session. And then it comes to get my third one. And I have this realization that I am being freaking crazy. <laughs> And that it's fine. This tattoo is fine. There's nothing that wrong with it. It's it's like okay. It's a good like tattoo. It, yeah. I just had like started following people on Instagram and found ones that I liked so much more and actually done more research into a good tattoo shop and what it means to get a good tattoo and what to look for. <laughs> so I stopped removing. She stopped. Getting I stopped her getting it removed. Continue to hide the tattoo for multiple years, and. Then my brother texts me one day and he goes, Kyra, I want to get a tattoo. This is multiple years later. And he's like, you always wanted tattoos, right? And I go, Xander, I already have one. <laughs> he goes, what? You don't already have one? And I said, no, I've had one for like three years. You don't understand. And he's like, oh my God, we have to tell parent, the parents together. Like, I'll get mine now. And I was like, okay, I'll get mine redone. Because at this point, it looks terrible. Because I went through two sessions, two sessions of removal. Like, it's like faded. Does not look good anymore. I, I kind of hate it at this point. So I go to a shop in San Diego, get it done by an actual good artist, uh, and get it redone. And then we show my parents together three years later. <laughs> so mom and dad... Here's that story for you. I'm very intrigued to hear what your um, reaction is to this. Wow, so, that's some, that is some hot, juicy gossip yeah. here on the Circle Up podcast. So anyway, uh, that was maybe one of the crazier moments of my life as far as actually being crazy. That's the story of Kyra's first <laughs> and that's tattoo. My very first tattoo. And, um, and it's big, too. Like, it's, you know, I went you big. can see it. You can look back on look yeah, on Kyra's Instagram it. now because it's, it's not it's, a secret. It's better now and not faded and terrible. But because I gave it so that tra- the, the skin so much trauma in those first couple weeks of getting it and then getting it removed, it's actually, like, permanently raised. It's, like, also scarred. So, anyway, um, that's one of my tattoos. And then my other rib tattoo is actually commemorative for my parents. So, it evens out. If you guys can remember that while you listen to this, uh, Tom and Kathy, Mom and Dad, uh, that would be great. <laughs> But the remember other that the other, other side is for you. Yeah. So, but then one of my other, my other probably favorite tattoo, and I, other than the one that's the prettiest, which my friend Dawn did. Uh, I also have a Dawn tattoo. Yeah, Dawn Davis. She's amazing. Look her up. She lives in Bellingham now. If you're listening, she's incredible. Go find her. She's hard to get into, but, but she's amazing. it's worth it. I have a tattoo that says, you suck, try harder, which has caused controversy in a very different way. And it's because people think it's very negative, but... You've maybe been able to tell from listening to this podcast if you are this far that I'm actually a very positive person. <laughs> I would say it's, as I said, one of my superpowers. And uh, so when I posted the photo of this You Suck Try Harder, I was like so psyched about it because it has a lot of deep personal meaning for myself. And, and she got some hate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was everybody telling me that this was negative self-talk and I shouldn't talk to myself like that and why would I get that tattooed? And I remember looking at the comments on this photo and 
and saying, no, that's negative talk. You're you're talking negative to me. You're telling me that this thing I put on my body is bad. Like, Honestly, the sickest part of that tattoo is that then after that, you went to the Olympics and got the Olympic rings on the same level on the opposite leg. I also think that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so I, I got the tattoo, the USAC Try Harder. I'd been wanting it for a while, and I actually got it after World Championships, which was the first opportunity to qualify for the Olympics, and before I had qualified. And I told my mom after I got it, because she wasn't particularly psyched that her daughter got USAC tattooed on her um and I told her I was like no mom I'm gonna get the Olympic rings on the other side it was like kind of that reminder that to believe in myself and to know work hard and not think that I deserve this for any other reason other than you know what I'm doing and putting into it and kind of that reminder just to not think that way I guess um and that it was I was still gonna get the tattooed rings on the other side and I did so that's why I have them balanced in that way I, I planned that out like I said, Kyra's tattoo stories are way more specific and intricate and cool than mine are. I Literally, I could listen to Kyra tell her tattoo stories just all day. Now tell the back one. Okay. <laughs> and so, so I did get the Olympic rings, and that was honestly kind of something that was difficult for me because I wasn't particularly happy with my Olympic performance immediately after, as I mentioned in episode five. Um, that was just a complicated emotional process to go through, and so I kind of was like, oh, do I deserve to get the Olympic rings if I – don't, I'm not happy with my performance. And so there was that kind of whole mental battle. And I decided, I was like, no, I, I went, I went through all of this effort. I did so many things. Like, of course I've got it. I have always wanted them. I need to get them. And so I got them and I was very, very glad that I got them. Uh, so that was, that was that story, which is, they're pretty straightforward. It's the Olympic rings. But then I, that didn't quite feel like it commemorated my Olympic experience quite enough because there was all this turmoil with my back and the mental space I was in and um, just coming to terms with what it meant to have a fused back and be an elite athlete and all those things all at once. And so I got parallel lines down my back and the tattoo artist actually was kind of panicked about it. He was telling me that bodies are curvy and that straight lines don't always look straight. And I told him that that was kind of the point of it. I wanted them to not look straight because when I bend my back, the whole middle stays completely straight, but then I bend really specifically in one spot right below my fusion. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to have these permanent lines that kind of show that uh, and, and move with it and also frame my scar because I have a, I don't know, foot and a half long scar down yeah. my back. And so the idea was to both frame the scar and also be kind of this visual tool to, honestly, functionally, when I look at videos, I can see wh- where my back's moving and and it was important to you that it didn't cover your scar, too. Yeah, I didn't want it to be a cover-up, or I wanted it to frame it like that. Yeah, which is also really cool. And so that one was my really, like, cathartic Olympic tattoo. Yeah, that one, I mean, I think that whole that whole series of the Yusuf Try Harder into the Olympic rings, into the back tattoo, was a really cool, I think, tattoo transition for you. Definitely. My first tattoo was way less dramatic. My first tattoo was a stick and poke on my ankle from my friend Logan, who is also a really talented artist, but it took, like, three hours and it's, it's like the size of a silver dollar. Yeah, like it's not that big. But it, you know, stick and poke, it's like pretty detailed and it it's like a one needle. So you're, you, it, it takes, takes for, a long time. It takes forever, yeah. Um, but my first real tattoo was our circle tattoos in which the Circle Up podcast is namesake. Yeah. <laughs> but those we got in Minnesota when I came to visit Kyra for a competition, just sort of on a whim. But I think, and we've told that story maybe in the a little first bit. episode yeah. a little bit but um but i didn't know how fast a tattoo gun was because i'd only had a stick and poke that took three hours so we went in and he like put the stencil on and it's a perfect circle which also tattoo artists are stressed about it's perfect circles and lines yeah. but 
he put the stencil on and then it was like literally eight seconds. Yeah, they go, the, you just had to go around once. And I remember just being totally shocked at how fast. Yeah, because your other one was. was like not that much bigger than the circle, but, but took three hours. Took three hours, yeah. I remember that. That was really funny. But we each have a stick and poke. Yeah. And so then the other funny tattoo story that Allison and I have together is that we were really bored during COVID, which I feel like a lot of people can Relatable. relate to. Relatable. Yeah, can relate to. And, uh, and so we bought a stick and poke kit that would just ship to our house. And it was a super interesting moment because I think it really represented our personalities well, where I just immediately started looking up YouTube videos about like how deep to go in, what's the angle, how much ink to use, like how you should sanitize the surface and like where to make sure you're wearing gloves and put the stuff on this side. And like, if you know, if you've, if this happens, you've gone too deep, whatever, all the details. And I like look over while I'm looking at these videos and Kyra's like halfway done her tattoo. <laughs> like she's already, she didn't look at all. She was like, I'm just full blind confidence just go in as soon as i decided what i wanted i just started she just went and just started going and i took i think i was probably tattooing my own body for like another hour and a half after you had finished yeah and allison's looks better that's (laughs) to be perfectly honest It's smaller also it's smaller allison did a little lightning bolt and i did a triangle just because we wanted whatever shapes yeah yeah um but now we've we've actually both done multiple stick and pokes on other people so even though we don't have our own tattoos we've also we'll be opening our stick and poke books soon so keep an (laughs) eye out on the instagram but that blind confidence really helps so that's i think what allison was getting at there i have a lot of blind confidence in myself which can go well or poorly it's it's gone both ways uh but then allison is a very calculated and uh what's the word there what i'm looking for i guess just more like methodical and and careful calculated and methodical person and that carries over into our lives yeah. in general and I, there's honestly neith- the most, neither way is bad the most most of the most stressed i've ever been was one of the stick and pokes i did was on my boyfriend like right when we started dating and i just i like panicked he left after it took me forever first of all and i just panicked that it was like terrible and like i just i oh, it was i that's not I, that's not the life for me tattoo artist <laughs> life is not the life for me super impressive very impressed with people who can who tattoo. can tattoo yeah so anyway, shout out to all our tattoo artists that have done incredible things because, I don't know, I, I like, I'm psyched with how all mine look too and how they turned out. And, yeah. Same. Anyway, hopefully this was fun to listen to and informative on both drug testing and tattoos and tattoo stories. And sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> this episode is dedicated to Tom and Kathy Gandhi. <laughs> they're, they're honestly kind of famous in the climbing world because they come to so many events and support so many things and know so many people. So Maybe we'll talk about great climbing parents and uh, yeah something that'll be a next uh, maybe next time but see you next time and bye